Father, thank you so much today for uh, just waking us up, just bringing us here. And Father, we pray as we uh, read your word today that you would speak to us, that we would be attentive to you. Father, we know that there's a lot going on in our lives and in this world, and we just pray that we would be able to focus on you today. We thank you for loving us, and uh, we thank you for sending us Jesus, and it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. <coughs> so you all had an uh, exciting football game yesterday, didn't you? Yes, you did. I watched it on, in the airport uh, before I boarded my flight. You never hear a coach say, we didn't deserve to win that game. But... There's time where that's the case. Now, maybe Ohio State deserved to win that game yesterday. They did play hard. I will tell you one team that did not deserve to win yesterday, and that's the Kentucky Wildcats. So, you all don't know anything about constant futility in a sport unless you're a Browns fan. So, if you're (laughs) Browns fans, Kentucky fans, you're basically the same, okay? 30 years of my life. Tennessee, Kentucky. Kentucky has won two times. Two times, that's it. And here's how they've won. There have been times that Kentucky has been the better team. They have played harder. Kentucky won two times. The first time, every quarterback on Kentucky's roster was hurt. And so they started a wide receiver who hadn't started a game since high school, and they beat Tennessee. That was the first time that they beat them in 20-something years. Last night, they had four turnovers, and yet they still took the lead with 33 seconds left. For most people, 33 seconds is secure. For Kentucky fans, it's, wow, that's 33 seconds of misery and something could go wrong. And in that 33 seconds, Kentucky managed to give up a fourth and 23. They converted that, and they managed to allow them to catch the Hail Mary at the end of the game, except tackle them at the one-yard line. That's how Kentucky won last night. So, but the coach didn't say, we didn't deserve to win this game. Now, you hear a lot when you lose, right? We, well, we deserve to win that game. It just didn't go our way. But we, we get into what do we deserve, what do we not deserve, right? That's a lot of what we talk about. And in this series called Unqualified, we're, kind of, we're taking a look at the, the life of Moses, And if you would, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, but we're primarily going to be in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. Uh, The the church app is working this week, and so if you want to pull that up on your device, you can do that as well. So basically what we're going to see is, is God has a job description. God has something for someone to do. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Orb, the mount of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And so now that God has his attention, he wants to give him his job description. 
The Lord says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land or from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You guys know the trick of reading those words is just to read them fast so people know think that you know what they're saying. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. <clears throat> so this is the job description. I need you to go and set my people free, essentially, okay? So, in that, it doesn't seem that, that big. So let's get into exactly what God is calling someone to do. At this time, Egypt is one of the major nations in the entire world. Their workforce, the Hebrews are a million-plus people. So let's rephrase what God is asking Moses to do. I need you to go into one of the most powerful countries in the world, and I need to take a million and a half people out of there who, by the way, do everything and lead them to somewhere else. Okay? This is a little bit intimidating. I'm going to take the entire workforce of one of the most powerful countries in the world, away from them. Apparently just through words. Now, this is pretty intimidating. This isn't exactly probably what Moses thought he was going to get into when he was watching sheep that day. And and so Moses has a little bit of hesitation. We'll talk about that in a second. But here's the thing. The fact that there's a bush on fire that's not burning up is actually probably the second most unbelievable thing in this section. Probably the most unbelievable thing in this section is that he's asking Moses to do this. I mean, you would think four-star general, you would think something else like that who would come in and set these people free. He's talking to Moses. And so because this is a job description, I figured let's treat Moses' life as a resume. So let's see Moses' qualifications to go and do this. Well, what about his past work experience? All right, so Exodus 2, verses 11 through 12. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Okay, so his job is basically he's growing up in the royal family. He's just going to go out and look because he probably doesn't really have another job to do. He just watches over everyone and makes sure everything goes all right. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Okay? So past job experience. Now, uh, if you've interviewed for a job, you know that there's one question that you may dread when you get to it. And it's, now, tell me why you're leaving the place that you're working at. Right? It's always an awkward question. Right. Moses' answer is, it's, well, it's because I killed someone. I killed someone uh, people found out, and now they want to kill me. And so that's why I left the job that I had. This is who God's calling. God is calling someone who just is where he is today because he killed someone. Because he tried to cover it up. And then the Hebrews found out what he did, and they were scared of him. The people who he's supposed to be leading out, by the way, they're scared of him. The Egyptians found out what he did, and the people that basically raised him want to kill him. 
And yet here's God. He's saying, hey, I want you to go and set these people free. So basically, you're going to go advocate for the people who are scared of you to the people who want to kill you. All right, so Moses' past should disqualify him. Moses' past should disqualify him from this job. God has what he needs to be done. The fact that he's going and talking to someone who is a murderer probably isn't the person you would think that a holy, perfect God would choose to do a task. So, you know, his past job experience isn't that great. Well, what about his skills and qualities, right? Surely that is what God is looking at. Well, Exodus 4.10, after a discussion about going in and setting the people free, Moses says this, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Okay, so there's Hebrew historians who have gone and looked at the words that are used here. Basically, Moses was borderline unintelligible. Like, he had such a speech impediment. He didn't have Lindsey Graves, the speech pathologist, to help him out. But he had such a speech impediment that he could barely get a sentence out. It was the same phrase that people would use for people who were crazy because they couldn't talk. This is who God is calling to what? Go talk to Pharaoh and let them out. So not only is he someone who's probably disqualified because of his past, he's probably disqualified because he has these limitations. Let's be honest, if you are applying to be an orator somewhere and you can't talk, the deck is probably stacked against you. You're probably not going to get that. More than that, you probably wouldn't even apply for it. You probably wouldn't even apply for a job that you knew beforehand that your limitations prevented you from actually doing the job. And yet, here's Moses. He is a murderer who mumbles. He cannot do what God is calling him to do. Surely not. So his past should disqualify him. His limitations should disqualify him. But there's one more thing here. And we're going to jump around a little bit. But picking up uh, back from our original text, Moses uh, replies to God after he says, okay, this is what I want you to do. Verse 11 Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses is not convinced. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to them, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? We'll get to God's answers in a second, but God gives him an answer. So the beginning of verse 4, Moses says, okay, that's great. But what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And then he goes in and tells God that he has a speech problem and that he's not good at this. And then God steps in again and says, no, really, I want you to do this. And so verse 13, Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. So He's disqualified because of his past. He's disqualified because of his limitations. And oh yeah, he doesn't want the job. He's your teenager who when you had that talk and said it's time for you to get a job, said why? Like that's Moses right now. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want the job. Even though there is a burning bush that is on fire but not on fire, he is telling God no. 
See, Moses just looked at his life and he understood this is not who you're looking for. I am not who you're looking for. And here's the thing is, so often we read the Word of God as a bunch of suggestions when they're actually commands. God tells us that we're supposed to be doing stuff as Christians, that we're supposed to live out our life, that we're supposed to be reaching out to the lost, that we're supposed to be helping the poor, that we're supposed to be standing for truth. We're supposed to do all of these things, and yet what do we do? We say, you know what? I mean, look at my past. Surely not. Or not me. You know that I can't do that. Or we just say, you know what, I just don't feel like it today. The same three things that held Moses back holds us back on a daily basis. Here's the thing, though. When God calls you, he's not looking at your resume. He's looking at his blueprint. He is not looking at what you have done. He is looking at what he designed you to do. He is not looking at your skills and abilities. He's looking at the fact that when he created you, uniquely you, he created you to carry out his will in this world. God's not interested in your resume. He'll use it, but he's not interested. He's interested in his blueprint. He understands, I created you for this. Trust me, I know what I'm calling you to do. You see, look what he does for Moses. Moses says, okay, who should I tell them sent me? And so, Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am have sent me to you. He knew that Moses couldn't go there on his own. Remember, the, the Hebrews are scared of him. The Egyptians want to kill him. And so if he goes there on his own, he's kind of up a creek without a paddle. And so he gets there and he says, no, no, don't go there and say that you're going there. Say, I am sent me. God sent me. Of course, that wasn't good enough for Moses. And so remember, Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me or, or what if they don't listen to me? And so Exodus 4, 2 through 9, God just gives him some things. The do. He says, all right, throw your staff on the ground. It's going to turn to a serpent. Lift your hand, put it in your cloak, come out. It's going to be leprous. When you put it back in, it's going to be healed. And finally, he says, okay, and if they don't believe those, you'll put your uh, staff in the water and it will turn to blood. God says, I know that you're a little bit nervous about your credibility, but remember, I'm going with you. So you have nothing to fear. And then remember, he says, remember, I've got the speech impediment. God, in case you didn't know, I, I can't really talk really well. And so, Exodus 4.11, God says, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God says, oh, trust me, I know your limitations, but I also know that I created that tongue of yours. And I know that you can do this. And remember, even despite all of this, what does Moses say? I'll just send somebody else. Please just send someone else. And so Exodus 4, 14 through 17, God says, listen, your brother Aaron's already on his way. He's already on his way. And so what we would think is that I've 
You've, you're disqualified. I gave you every chance, Moses. We're, we're just going to go use Aaron. After all, he's probably better than you anyway, right? And so we're, we're just going to do that. Now, that's not what he does. Exodus 4, uh, 4 verse 15, he says, I will help what both of you speak and will teach you what to do. In other words, I'm going to give you somebody to go along with you, but make no mistake, you're both going to do it. You're not going to get out of this. You see, God will provide what you need to do what He calls you to do. He will. God will provide you what you need to do what He calls you to do. And here's the thing. More often than not, it's going to be relying on Him to do some things that you really do not think that you can do. I don't think that Moses is being a stubborn teenager. I think he's being 100% real with God and saying, I really don't think I can do this. And I'm sure that you and I have done the same thing. God, I really think that you called the wrong number here. Like, I, this it's not me. But that's because we know what we can do, but so often we don't know what God can do through us. Because God can do immeasurably more than we can even fathom. You see, we are a lot like Moses. We tell God no all the time. But God's not looking at our resume. He's looking at what He wants accomplished. He looks at how He designed us, and He looks at the way the world is going, and He's saying, no, no, I I know what I'm talking about. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. You ever feel like you can't be used? Feel like you've disqualified yourself? God, I just don't have the faith to do it. Well, there's a man who didn't have faith. In fact, God told him he was going to have a kid, and he waited and waited, and everything came. And so he took things into his own hand and then had a kid with someone else. And yet, guess what? God still used Abraham despite his lack of faith. Do you think, you know what, God, I'm just emotionally or, or maybe even mentally, I'm just not capable of doing these things. I struggle with, with mental health. I, I struggle with depression. I, I just struggle with this stuff. You, you can't call me. You read the book of Lamentations. It's written by a guy named Jeremiah who struggled with a lot of the same thing. Or maybe you look and say, God, you, know, you don't know what I've done, which is a really dumb thing to say to an all-knowing God, but you, you don't know what I've done in my past. You don't know what I've, I've done in, to some other people. Well, I know when you turn to the New Testament, the first book is written by Matthew, who was a tax collector. I know that when you get towards the end, there's some books there written by a guy named Peter, who, by the way, cussed like a sailor, acted like a sailor, and then denied Jesus to his face. I know that Peter's in there, and by the way, we see that there's a woman who had five husbands, was living with someone who wasn't her husband, and Jesus says, no, I can give you living water. And she went and preached or taught and told people about this man that she met at this wedding named Jesus, and I know that there was a guy who went around killing people, and yet he wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, and his name is Paul, and we are really out of excuses. We are. We're out of excuses. Because if God can use people like that, He can use people like you and me. 
God is calling each of us to serve Him. I believe Scripture is very clear that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, that you love God and you love people, which means that you serve God and you serve others. And it means that unless it is very specifically written to someone who definitely isn't you in the New Testament, all of these blanket statements about what Christians should do, you and I need to do. From going and making disciples of all nations to holding our tongue and everything in between. If we're called to do it, God created us to fulfill that. And so I know that maybe some folks were like, I just don't know where to start. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to to let God use me. Here's how you start. Start in a safe place. The safe place called a church. Start serving people who you go to church with every single Sunday. And so how do you do that? Listen, we cannot say that we are your church and not give you opportunities to do that. On November 12th, after Sunday school and after church service that morning, in the fellowship hall, We're going to have a ministry fair. And every ministry here at East 40 will have a booth set up that tells you exactly what they do and exactly how you can help. And so maybe you say, you know, I I need a little, you know, I got to get in the the kiddie pool before I jump in and serve God full time. Okay, well, this is the kiddie pool. You jump in here and we will plug you into a ministry. You say, well, all I can do is mow the yard. Have you seen what we have? Like, that is perfect. We need people who can mow a yard. We need people who can do handiwork. We need people who are willing to bake a cake when someone needs it. To bake a pie, to cook a meal, to set up tables, to tear down tables. Whatever. We need people. And so if you need to ease into this, we want to provide an opportunity for you to do that. So in two weeks, we want you to come and visit that table. Everything from our kids' program to our buildings and grounds to our missions and everything in between. We'll have a booth there for you to know how you can plug in. But here's the thing. That means there's two weeks for you to put stuff off. But I guarantee you God has something for you to do today. Your past does not disqualify you. Your perceived lack of ability does not disqualify you. Your unwillingness does not disqualify you. If God calls you, God qualifies you. Because He is with you. God created you. He knows you. So if He calls you, He qualifies you. I am descending you too. And here's the thing about grace. Here's the thing about this water of baptism. We're not qualified to go in there. We're not. The very essence of the New Testament is that while we were still sinners, which by the way means while we were still messing up, Christ died for us. God didn't wait around and wait for our good meter to get to like 75 and be like, okay, Jesus, you go. No, he saw that it was bad. It was never going to get better. And he still sent Jesus because he said, you know what? I want a relationship with these people. I created them for a relationship with me. And so maybe you have put off this morning and you put off your entire life coming to the cross of Jesus and saying, "I, I want what God can give me 
because you think you're not good enough. Guess what? That's what we all have experienced. We're not good enough, but God is. And He is faithful, and He is true, and He can reconcile you to Himself through Christ. And so this morning, if that's you, then here in a moment, we're going to sing a song, and I'm going to invite you to come forward and talk to me. We can talk to some of our elders who are up here about what it means to be a Christian. It's what Jesus has done. It's not what we have done. Maybe this morning, today, you say, you know what, I'm going to belong to a church family. I want to plug in here. I want to make it official. Maybe I've attended here for a very long time, but I'm making it official today. I'm, I want to be a member. Then I'd love for you to talk to you up here. Also, I say this every week, but I mean it. If you just need prayer, I would love to pray with you, and, and some other uh, elders here would love to pray for you. Hey, listen, Moses isn't qualified to do what God calls him to do, but Exodus still has some more chapters past chapter 4, which means he did it. It means that you and I have chapters to be written. And so this morning, let's make a commitment to know this. God created you. He knows you. So if he calls you, he qualifies you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. Father, we thank you that you hear our prayers because Jesus is on our behalf. Because the blood of Jesus washes our sins, because of that we have a relationship with you. And it's not because of anything that we have done, but what Jesus has done. And yet you choose broken people to carry out your perfect plan. And so, Father, give us ears to listen. That when you call our name, we say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Father, I pray that we would be a church of unqualified people carrying out your perfect plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.